0: Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I am your host, Rob Walling. I'm trying something a little different this week. I came across this really long email that I had sent about 15 years ago, and then an ensuing email thread talking about software products, and really talking about me acquiring this product.NET Invoice, if you're familiar with it, it was really the first product that I made any substantial revenue from. And what's interesting about this, well, there's a couple artifacts of that time, phrases and, and companies that you'll hear me mention. But what I think is even more interesting is just to see the mindset of where I was at and, and I would say kind of where this space was. 15 years ago, and and the thinking and just how nascent it was and how there were no examples of really being a solo founder and building a bootstrapped software company that didn't go and raise funding. And even though my aspirations were not large, you know, they were truly to pay my mortgage or to make eight or 10k a month and be able to quit consulting. Even though that's all I wanted to do, the topic of funding is mentioned several times in this thread as we try to iron this out. To give you context, this email was to a friend of mine who was also a longtime colleague and who I had done a ton of consulting work for. He had run an actual, like an agency, a consulting agency during the dot-com boom and then had pivoted that when everything crashed into basically a remote agency, you know, and this is 2001, 2002, and it was just a remote group of of developers there were only a few of us that he was keeping busy but we were contractors and I was able to work from home for the first time in my life. And that was super game changing for me. I was able to set my own hours for the most part. And for him, I always respected his his sales chops. And he just was a person who had business acumen. I did not grow up knowing people who had business acumen, who knew how to, to market, who had money. You know, when I used to hear the term friends and family round, I thought, what friends or family do I have that has enough money that they aren't mostly living hand to mouth and that could possibly write me a check to start a startup. It was just ridiculous. And and that was actually something that I always struggled with and I really didn't like the kind of it was who you knew who would get you the funding. And I just felt like and was such an outsider to that entire tech scene, you know, having grown up my dad working construction and my mom basically raising us and then, you know, she was a receptionist at at a veterinary clinic. And that was our life. I didn't know anyone really who ran a business aside from someone owned a local ice cream shop. And I remember thinking, man, that's so cool. I want to run my own business. But that was it. And you can really hear my naivete around business life and starting a company and growing a company and what it's going to take. And just, I had literally, you know, read the Inc. Magazine and the Entrepreneur Magazine and the Red Herring and and Business 2.0. And that was my picture of if I'm going to build a software company, if I'm going to try to build a product, this is how people do it. And that's how I need to do it as well. And although there are several takeaways kind of from this email and from the whole conversation that I bring up in this episode, I think one of the big ones is just that I was trying to do something without a model and... I think that's how a lot of us get here. I think that's how a lot of us, we feel like the current models we're being presented with just don't feel right. And when you keep hearing about venture funding and you, you look at the WeWorks on the front page of TechCrunch and, and the Ubers, and you hear some of them laying off these employees and a lot of them treat the employees and this constant need for funding and this thirst for this billion dollar outcome. And for some people, for a lot of us, I would say the most of us, that just that feels off. And it, it doesn't feel like who we are and the company we want to build. And although, as I say, almost every episode, we want to build ambitious startups, we don't want to do it at the expense of of relationships and of just having to treat people poorly and make decisions based on satisfying investors. And, and even just the all or nothing idea of, I have to have a billion dollar outcome or else I'm a failure. I just think that that's not the norm. It's just so unfortunate that the press covers that because it is these are such edge cases. They're such the one in a hundred or a thousand or a million, whatever number you want to say, where so many of us just want to build a really interesting business and want to grow it and want to change our lives and change the lives of of the you know people who are involved in it. But why does it have to be an all or nothing bet the farm to grow to a billion dollars? This was I think during this turning point, this mental turning point that I was having, and you can see some of that coming out in this email thread. So without further ado, here's the email. Subject line is business proposition. I've been thinking for a good couple years that no matter how much our rates go up, we're always scrambling for leads and working nine to five to pay the bills. If we don't work, we don't get paid. This is not a terrible thing, of course, since our hourly rates are high and we make a good living. But from my years of reading finance books, I've come to believe there are three levels to making money. The lowest level is working for someone else. The next level is working for yourself. And the top level is making passive income, whether it be through other people working for you as you've leveraged very well or through real estate or a product. The product idea has come up before. I recall you and one of my coworkers discussing a web-based product for service companies in a certain area of the country. I'm not sure if I was working for you at the time, but I thought it was a good idea. I've also taken stabs at passive income through technology, like when I built FeedShot, which makes around $100 a month. Woohoo! Flogs, which I sold. It was too much work for too little payoff. And Dig started a personal finance section, basically was going to make it irrelevant. And some forum software I owned called Chitchat.net which I sold a few months ago after trying to market it and not having the success that I wanted. So although these haven't been failures per se, they have not been the smashing successes I once hoped. But I've learned a lot in the process about marketing online, Google AdWords, search engine rankings, and supporting a product. The next step in this evolution was when I was at a client site, and I realized they have a fat stream of recurring revenue because they have customers who pay them around $10 per month to use their hosted online time tracker the company is only seven employees and they're bringing in quite a bit of money in annual revenue and it's not revenue they have to sell for all the time a good chunk of it just appears monthly in their bank accounts Now, they've been around for a long time, and they built a nice customer list, but this seems like a nice business to be in. With that in mind, it's always been in the back of my mind to build or buy something that I can leverage, something that scales better than my one hour of work. I've explored many, many products and websites in the past couple years as I troll the website for sale boards on eBay, SitePoint, and DomainState, realizing a lot of these things sell for far less than I could build them for. Strange though that is. Most of them are crap, or things I'm not interested in, or things I don't think will scale to the level I'd like. But I found one recently through sheer coincidence that fits all the criteria I've set up. It's in .NET, it serves businesses, which I'd prefer over consumers, even back then. It's crazy. It's well-written, I've seen the source code, and it's already selling to real customers. The product is an ASP.NET invoicing app called .NET Invoice. I saw a link to it from a post the developer made. He was actually just describing his portfolio of things he developed, looking for someone with marketing knowledge to help him market and sell his ideas better. I clicked on the link and thought, the site is clean and sells the product well, and the product demos really well. So I emailed and asked if he'd be willing to sell it. He said he wasn't opposed to the idea. At this point, I'm thinking it's going to take a lot of cash to buy the thing. I found out that he and another developer wrote it, and they've averaged between $700 and $1,000 per month in sales for the past six months or so, which, and this is present day Rob cutting in, turned out not to actually be 100% factual. Their site ranks high for some decent keywords, and they get several hundred unique visitors per month with no advertising. They sell a supported version of the product and an unsupported one, but they sell almost none of the supported version, so he says they barely do any support somewhere around an hour or two per month. They've obviously spent hundreds upon hundreds of hours building the product and the site. Version 2.0 has 60 web pages and 20 database tables. You and I both know how long that would take to build and how expensive it would be at our rates. It's interesting for me to read this looking back over these years because several of the things that I'm saying did not pan out, were not actually true, and I didn't know any better. I didn't really know how to do due diligence that well. These are things that a modern-day broker would, would have sussed out. Back to the email. The potential I see in this product is threefold. Number one, I like the fact that it's selling by itself through keywords and word of mouth. That's a good revenue stream and something I think should be put back into the product, whether for development of new features or for marketing. Number two, the next level I see is to create a higher priced version and start hitting up small and medium sized businesses who are in need of invoicing software. This thing automates recurring invoices, talk about a killer app for snowblowers, pool guys, landscaping companies, web hosts, etc. I think some of them would require time on the phone selling and that's why we would need to increase the price because I don't think the economics of selling a $98 product will work out if we have to make sales calls. Finally, this seems like a fabulous opportunity to create recurring revenue. Why not modify this thing so we can host X number of clients, off the same install and become an ASP. And this is me jumping in. ASP was an application service provider. And that was what SaaS was called before we called it SaaS. But what's interesting is then I use SaaS later in the next couple sentences. So I'm not, I'm not sure why I did that. But ASP was still a term. Back to the email. We could charge $12 to $149 per month. I have no idea why I came up with those numbers. It's so random. And compete with the other service out there. And I'm not sure if I meant to say service, I don't know what SaaS or ASP invoicing software there was at the time. I don't know if FreshBooks had launched. Back to the email. Software as a service seems like a great business and the larger SaaS companies are even being given a lot of funding right now because Wall Street likes the recurring revenue. Read this two issues ago in Red Herring magazine, which is now defunct. This is, it's so of its time. It's just so incredible. It really does feel like a lifetime ago in terms of, just the, the lack of knowledge of how things actually worked. And and for me to say, I don't think the economics of selling a $98 product will work if we have to make sales calls. Of course they won't. You need, th- you need to sell thousands and thousands of dollars per sale to make it worth sales calls. And that, that was a hard part of doing this is I didn't know anyone else on the internet who had done this. I didn't know anyone who was talking aside from Joel Spolsky and I had just heard of Basecamp and I believe I actually mentioned them later on in this conversation. And I'm kind of like, I, I'm like, I linked to BasecampHQ.com and then talk about how these, these guys are getting some traction right now. You know, it, it really is the, this pioneer end of the internet, the pioneer days of, of this whole SaaS model. And I was just trying to figure out, man, is this, is this something that will even work? Can you do it at this scale? And I'm still thinking in terms of funding, like, oh, if, if we get some traction, we can raise funding, which, you know, again, is not something that... Why would I have thought that? Why didn't I just want to build a profitable business? Because there was no model for it. Back to the email. So I made him an offer, $10,000 for everything. He counted at 15 and I counted this morning at $11,000. I've not heard back yet, but I expect to this weekend. I've verified the past four months of site traffic and revenue with screenshots, which is how I've typically done it. I have verified they rank on the first page of Google for various keywords. I've seen the complete V1.1 source code samples of the 2.0 code. It's not exactly how I would have done it, but it's very clean and appears to be pretty well documented. And here's where I start to get down to the nitty gritty, the deal. And this is like the longest email ever. I can't believe I even sent an email like this. This feels like it should be a, an ebook or something. Back to the email. I think the final thing I like about this idea is that I can own something. Not to say it's bad building and maintaining other people's stuff, but I've come to the point where I want to change from what I've been doing for the past six years. I know you've been doing it even longer. And I feel like I have the experience, the knowledge, the motivation to make something like this pay big dividends. Well, actually, I only have some of the experience and that's where you come in. I think this team needs two sides. technical person and the salesperson. Certainly we would both be involved in both areas, but you understand what I'm getting at. Of all the people in my life whom I trust, you are one of the most gifted at sales, have an amazing understanding of tech, and I know that we make a good team. No one else fits this bill, and that's why I propose we consider doing this venture together. As I've thought through making this happen, I've realized that many discussions need to take place about which new features to develop, which markets to go after, how to price it, and others, and those will be so much more fruitful with two smart people involved. My thoughts are as follows, and these are not set in stone. Number one, we go in 50-50. We split the upfront cost of the software, try as best we can to work an equal number of hours each month. Number two, this is certainly not going to be our primary sources of income. I plan to take four to six hours each week during work time, since I really have no free time anymore due to the baby, who's now my almost 14 years old, to put towards this project. The more revenue we make, the more time I can give it, shrinking the number of consulting hours I work. It would be up to you if you want to work on it during work hours or not number three if you don't have time don't have the desire don't like the product don't like the idea please don't feel any pressure to do this my feelings will not be hurt, and her relationship will not change in any way i'll probably move ahead even if you decide not to but we'll make adjustments from the plan i've outlined above but seriously i realize i'm throwing a lot at you here and i will be 100 percent cool if we aren't able to pull this together number four we would sign a partnership agreement hey getting in writing that was good number five we would have to agree to reconcile, meaning your friendship is worth more to me than this business. If the sh- hits the fan at some point, you and I must agree to overcome the problem and figure out how to stay friends. Of all the items on this list, this is the one I will not budge on. I imagine you have a zillion questions right now. Feel free to send them via email or give me a call in my cell. I'll be in touch once I hear back from the .NET Invoice guys. And aside from just the early stage, my lack of knowledge and experience and just the early stage of the, just the whole space, I'm struck by how well I had, um, I feel like I had thought this stuff through pretty well and i was pleased to see that i was valuing relationships over the business and that that was such an important thing to me in retrospect this would have been a terrible partnership as much as we were friends and we we still keep in touch now and again but certainly we don't i mean we haven't talked on the phone in years we emailed i don't know we email once a year tops once every couple of years and and i still like and respect him but he went off and did his own thing and i went off and obviously did my own thing and knowing what I know now, I was scared to do it on my own. And I felt like I wanted there to be someone else there so that I didn't make a bunch of mistakes. And I think that's understandable. But I also think I was kind of grasping around at anyone I knew who had business experience. And since he had been running, you know, this successful agency, this consulting firm, for several years, and I had done a ton of work for him, and and we got along, I felt like that would be a good thing. And I I just don't think it would have worked well. And I think trying to pivot it into his skill set. So he was a salesperson, he was not a a developer. I think that would have probably not worked because really the product, the way I then went about, I doubled down on SEO and I did a bunch of AdWords and, you know, really just up those skills and just did a bunch of marketing and got inbound leads and sold it. And I just don't think that his skill set of doing high touch sales would have been that valuable to it. I think we both would have felt bad about it and that things worked out the way they did. But I want to continue with the story a little bit We went back and forth a few times and he basically said, hey, you know, I can't make a decision right now. But then he had some really interesting things to say about basically like the fact that he was kind of running this this remote small agency back before most people were doing it. He he says, you know, I actually think that's a better model and I'm actually making pretty good money doing that. And I think products are going to be a pain. And he said, I feel like if I could just get a little more work, get a couple more contractors because I was essentially contracting for him that he could do better than trying to grow a product. And I came back and kind of said, yeah, but you're not building anything that is worth anything. Like, can you sell, you know, an agency (laughs) that is three, four, five, contractors and doing however much a year in revenue, but it, are you building long term value? And what's interesting is he he and I both had, I think we both had goals of freedom, but I think he really wanted to just accomplish things. I think he wanted to make a lot of money, which I, I do, do not hold against anyone, you know, any business person who's, who's trying to launch their, their company. But for me, it was much more I think about freedom and the ability to create what I wanted and to make build interesting things that I had control over. And I don't think he had that same drive. And and that's okay. I mean, that, that's this is a lot about knowing yourself, whether you just find this out or you take StrengthsFinder or you take the Enneagram or you talk to people around you who tell you this this is what drives you. I think knowing yourself is such a big part of this and looking back over this conversation, I think it really is fascinating that he really digs in and kind of successfully defends the agency model and just talks, he says, look, I make quite a bit of money. I don't work that much. And instead of losing focus and, and wandering off and doing a product, I actually think that adding a few more contractors is, is probably the way to go. And at some point, he says, I'm not saying that growing this agency sounds like a lot of fun, or it's anything I'm passionate about. But if it just gives me more cash flow while I explore other opportunities, I think that's really, you know, really an an opportunity. But one thing that it came down to, he said, I think the bigger problem than sales, actually, is finding good people. I could probably keep another two developers busy if I found decent folks. And that had been a, a really big issue was scaling the agency was not about sales for him because he was really good at it and had a lot of contacts. But it was finding developers that he didn't have to micromanage and be constantly project manage. And he goes on to say, you know, I'm 100% on board with building and selling products, but that model has its own challenges. Growth can be much more rapid, but you have to invest a lot of money up front to develop the product and continually invest to improve it. You're also constantly under threat by free services. This is such a interesting point because it is completely, I don't see it's relevant at all to Invoice, but it is funny. It was the thinking at the time, you're constantly under threat by free services. How would you like to have a web reporting tool and then have Google come out with a free one? I'm I'm sure he's referencing Google Analytics. I don't remember when Google Analytics came out, but that was kind of the thinking at the time is that all these big players would just release free versions of everything, which, you know, I don't think has has totally come to pass as we have seen that, that B2B SaaS has done quite well. And then we went down a pretty interesting thread. I'm kind of skipping over the boring stuff, but at one point he, he said, Hey, I've had a couple product ideas. I think I could do very well. And one of them was project management and time tracking tool. And I said, have you checked out BasecampHQ.com? These guys seem to have some momentum in this space. There are quite a few web-based project management products available, but I'm not sure how many of them have time trackers built in. A lightweight PM time tracking invoicing app does sound interesting. And then he said, "Here's what I recommend. How about we start working on a business plan together? I'll give my time freely, whether I decide to partner with you or not." And I remember thinking, "This is this is actually the bootstrapper in me, right? Or the, the person who wants to start their own company." As I was, I was like, "I don't want to, I don't want to make a business plan." You know, he was more of a more of a business school type thinker, and I really wanted to build a business instead of a business plan. I mean, I, maybe that's where this build a business instead of slide next thing that I say comes from. But I really remember feeling kind of averse to the idea. And not kind of. I remember thinking that sounds like the least fun thing I could do here. I really do just want to get this thing and dig in and figure out how to grow it and bring in more leads and not spend time. I mean, you know, we were talking about the Palo Alto software. It's Palo and it's this business plan creator thing. And the the thread basically ends. And I don't know what my thinking was at the time because my last thing says, yeah, let me order a copy and we can do that. And we just never move forward. And I, I remember thinking a little bit like if that's your approach to things, that is a bit of a red flag for me. And honestly, that's not to say that creating business plans is a bad thing. But it wasn't how it's not how I'm wired. And it wasn't how I wanted to build a product. It wasn't how I wanted to build a business, I really did want to get boots on the ground. And I wanted to start talking to customers and driving traffic and, you know, doing all the things that we do and that we talk about in this space. And I'm guessing he did too, but I think he wanted some kind of high-level plan. And when I thought about that, and even when I think about it now, I'm just not sure it would all been guesswork. I would have gotten in this business plan creator and it would say, well, how much do you think revenue will be next month and next year? And I would we would have been making stuff up, right? And the business plan would have been a list of... Wh- what was it? It was like, I'm going to build some features and here are marketing approaches. What else do you need with such a simple product? We don't need a business plan if we're not raising capital or it's not a super complex thing and there's not 10 of us working on it. And this is my internal monologue. I'm not saying that this is 100% right for, every, for everyone because I do think there are people who really want their, their thoughts to be structured and they want to make that plan and try to be able to stick to it. But it's never how I've thought of, of building new things. And so what wound up happening was I acquired the software on my own and I moved forward with it and I found out that the revenue wasn't as high as it had been. They had basically sent some launch emails to an email list to get the revenue juiced up. So the screenshots were correct, but it was not ongoing traffic. And they said, oh, we had to mess up with our PayPal. We can't go back more than four months. But if I had was able to go back prior to four months it would have showed that there was, I don't know, it was like $200 a month or something it was selling. And it was kind of a mess. Like the code was kind of in alpha phase. They were trying to sell it to people. People were really mad because there were bugs. It's kind of like you have invoicing software. What is your one job? It's to do math correctly. And they literally had math errors in the software. And so, you know, I was working the consulting during the day. And then I was doing this nights and weekends. And I put in quite a bit of time over about six weeks. I I fixed dozens, literally dozens of bugs that I found on the software and customers were super mad. <laughs> they just felt like they had been oversold and let down. And I responded to a bunch of emails. I was doing all support via Gmail at the time. And I basically said, look, I'm the new owner and I'm going to fix all this stuff, you know, just hang with me. And some people had paid. I mean, they, they I forget what the lowest price they had charged. It was probably between 30 and $49 for like the early access pricing. And then they had raised it to 98 and they had said there was a supported and an unsupported version. So they didn't have to provide support but all the people who bought it and then wanted support because there were bugs or because they didn't understand, they didn't want to be told that it wasn't supported, right? That doesn't, it's not a way to get out of supporting something. So I quickly got rid of that whole thing and everything came with support. But then I realized a couple of things. One, this software is too cheap and it was, it was 98 bucks at the time. And I just did an experiment and said, selling about three copies a month right now, I'm going to, raised the price to 295 bucks. And the next month it sold three copies at 295 bucks and it made $900 the next month. And then I was like, oh, this is interesting because that's in essence, probably approached what our rent payment was at the time. That was the year of my wife's residency at Yale. And so we were there and I remember thinking, this is really interesting. Can I triple this? Can I 10X this? How, you know, how big does this actually have to get in order to for me to quit consulting? And that was really the dream at the time. Now... What was cool is that I really learned how to, this is where I was building that tool belt and I I really learned a lot about SEO and, and Google AdWords and I learned customer support, I learned copywriting, I was reading books on how to write better copy. I was learning just all the stuff around software development, you know, that involves building a product and supporting that product and marketing that product and doing lightweight sales on the product, although I really wanted it to be, I didn't want to be jumping on the phone with someone for a $300 product. So I kind of made that clear up front. And I kind of cut my teeth on this one. This was the first one that generated more than, you know, one or $200 a month. And I eventually got it up. I mean, there was some, I remember the best month ever, I think was about $5,000. But most months were between about two and four. And that was a really nice chunk of change, given that I was working full time as a consultant during the day. And, and the learning experience was amazing. And later on, as I moved on, you know, you know, I built out a whole portfolio of products started moving into SaaS, and at a certain point, I just had enough going on as I was writing my book and starting the podcast in microconf that I found a business partner who was actually kind of coincidentally a mutual friend of the guy who I just had the email thread, you know, just read that long email thread from the three of us knew each other. And so I basically brought him on as a, you know, as a, a business partner and he kind of bought in and we were 50-50 on .NET Invoice for a few years. And then at a certain point, it just didn't even make sense for me to really be working on it anymore, I had so much else going on at such a different level. It really, it truly was that stair step. It was a great stair step app. It was a one time sale. It had a couple traffic channels that I built my tool belt on, and I tried to grow it. I thought it was going to be a ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollar app. I looked into making it into a SaaS. All the things that you would do, and spent a couple years as I was building and acquiring other apps, kind of on the side. And it, it just never really grew. You know, the market wasn't that big for it. I mean, a big thing was it was bought by .NET developers who were either consultants and they wanted to implement it, you know, use it as a code base for consulting projects, or they wanted to own their, you know, control their own data and didn't want to use a SaaS version. And so the market was, was not huge, but it did have a niche. This is where I learned all these things, right? Of like, oh, having a niche, going B2B, higher price points are better build out that tool belt. This is where I started thinking about stepping up from one to the next. And is, you know, is that worthwhile? Of course, I didn't come up with stair stepping till till years later. But I, I really do look back kind of with both terror, because that $11,000 check I wrote for this app was, it was pretty much all the money I had in the business bank account. And it was that was all side work that I had been doing. And so it was a tremendous investment for me. It was very scary. Well, then when I wrote the check, and I got the code, and the customers were all mad, what have I done was what went through my head. What have I just done? I just, I could have bought like a car or two because really most of my life I've only driven used cars and I just dropped all this money and, and I'm screwed now. And my back was to the wall. And that is something I've talked about in the past is there was something about, I couldn't give up. I couldn't just quit. I couldn't let myself do that because my back was to the wall because I had written that big check and I felt like I was on the hook for that and that I had to bring it to fruition or else admit that, I don't know, admit that this wasn't possible, admit that that I couldn't do it or just that it isn't a feasible approach. And I, I couldn't let that happen. And so, yeah, I did work 60-hour weeks for a couple months and turn it around and, again, did a ton of learning. And I have, you know, zero... Well, I shouldn't say zero regrets. Of course, there are regrets. Like, could I have dug into the PayPal more? Could I have probably overpaid for the app based on how much revenue it was doing? You know, there are like little regrets like that. But in the scheme of things... It just doesn't matter at this point, and to kind of put a bow on the story. In the end, I was doing so much other stuff, you know, with a Hit Tail, and I don't even remember if I'd started Drip, but there just hit a certain point where it wasn't worth focusing on anymore, and I and I felt like I wasn't upholding my end of the bargain as a as a partner in the business, and I eventually just gave it to that business partner that had come on several years earlier, and all that worked out, and, and we're we're still on good terms, and he and I talk and kind of reminisce about it every once in a while, and it's yeah, I think it turned out to be a pretty interesting story. So I hope you enjoyed this walk down memory lane. Hopefully, maybe you learned something. Maybe it was just an entertaining story. Maybe it inspires you to take some action and get your back to the wall keep shipping. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.